DJ and PK, our spring football tour continues with Tyson Alger, Oregon Ducks writer for The Athletic, and he joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Tyson, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Hey, before we get to the uh, the Ducks and this team coming up, I, I saw a headline this morning, and you can kind of explain to us and our listeners what's going on as much as you know. Um, you know, here everybody thinks of the Oregon Ducks as the Nike Ducks, right? Phil Knight is there. He has spared no expense, building buildings, paying staff and all that. So it seems like if Oregon has a quarterback who's a high first-round draft pick, he would immediately be a Nike guy, but apparently that's not true. What's going on? Oh, man, I, I, I haven't seen this story. So, John Canzano wrote something that it's sixth pick in the draft, and he's not signing with Nike, and what the heck is up there? I don't know. It's kind of a footnote. What do I care who someone signs with apparel? But I guess I just always – I don't see much daylight between Nike and the Oregon Athletic Department, so I just kind of assumed. Yeah, that 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 would surprise me. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's especially, um, and, and like I said, I haven't seen the story yet. But I mean, you know, Herbert grew up in kind of like the Oregon environment and uh, around Nike and, and all that. So, you know, you kind of assume that Oregon's top athletes are. I mean, like when Sabrina Unescu uh, was drafted by New York, like everyone just knew that she was going to uh, sign with Nike. So. Um, yeah, I, that, 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 that's a little surprising to me because, I mean, like, if you, if you go back five years ago when, like, Marcus Mariota was coming in, like, it was uh, an absolute sure thing that uh, Mariota was, was going to be a Nike athlete. So, yeah, that, that, that would be surprising to me. Hmm. So I got three or four candidates here. Who's replacing Herbert? Uh, it's gonna. It's probably gonna be uh, Tyler Shuck. He was Herbert's backup last year. He'll be a redshirt sophomore this year. Um, the the tough thing, especially with losing this spring, though, is you know none of these guys behind him um, that that were on the roster have really had any playing time. I mean, Shuck, uh, Herbert was a four year starter, so basically yeah. all Shuck's been able to do is kind of get some mop up duty when when the Ducks are up big. Uh, but they did they did bring in this uh, uh, transfer, this grad transfer uh, from uh, Boston College, Anthony Brown, who's uh, actually a pretty good player just the only thing is he's coming off of like back-to-back ACL injuries so um, he's obviously uh, uh, limited and, and kind of on, on the come up a little bit but um, from what we've been able to see from Tyler Shuck like he he should be able to command this offense and, and he has a lot of the talent it's just you know we, we all know it's different once uh, the, the real games happen and, and everything's happening at full speed so that's that's kind of where Oregon's at right now that's that's really the biggest question they had this spring because they, they bring back an absolutely loaded defense. And, and while they do lose a lot of pieces on the offensive line, uh, they, they have a really, really, t- they had a really talented second unit last year. So quarterback's definitely the big question now. CJ Verdell comes back at running back, coming off a couple of thousand yard seasons. And uh, most impressively, his per carry went from uh, five yards a carry to 6.2. Do you expect another jump in production or that O-line issue you referenced? Is that going to put a little bit of a ceiling on what he can do? I, I think Ver, Verdell still has a higher ceiling if he can stay healthy, but that's been the biggest thing for him. Uh, you know, if, if you watch the way he runs, he's a little cannonball. He, he's not a, a huge guy. I mean, he's stocky, but he's only about five foot ten, and he just 
you know, runs over guys and, and runs at dude. So every week it seems like he's got some sort of like you know bruise or bump or um, you know some is, is limited in some regard. So if if he can actually stay healthy for a year, I, I don't think he's he's reached his potential. Now, obviously, um, you know I don't expect the line to be better this year than it was last year because the line was pretty darn good last year. But I, I don't expect it to take a, a significant drop off next season. But yeah, it's it's. It's funny because like there are some games where you'll watch Verdell um, and you just think like man th- this kid's probably the best runner in the Pac-12, but then like he'll just disappear uh, in, in some other games, and I think a lot of that is just due to uh, him being a little bit injury prone. Everybody's going through this, but without the spring ball, how much do you think it's going to affect the Ducks, considering they have coordinators who are new on both sides of the ball? Right. So on on offense, it's going to be it, it'll be different. I mean, luckily they were able to get Moorhead in there like in, in late January, and, and they were able to get four practices in. So I mean, obviously that's not the fifteen; it's not close to it. But they do have some tape, and they are able to kind of show uh, players what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's not an ideal situation. Uh, fortunately, I, I do think Moorhead's. Uh, system is, uh, you know, it, it's not familiar to what Arroyo was running by any means. Like, this is going to be a way, a, a lot more high tempo, a lot more quarterback running, but it is very similar to what Oregon was running when, like, Chip Kelly was here. So there are a couple uh, stalwarts still kind of, like, in the um, staff or as analysts that were around during that time that, that can help with that transition. And then, um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, they, they do have a new cornerbacks coach and Rod Chance, but that's a, that's a, a, a veteran group. Uh, Andy Avalos did defensive coordinator is coming back for his second season. Uh, I think that guy's probably a head coach candidate following this year. I mean, he, he absolutely transformed Oregon's defense last year, which was already a good defense from the year before that. Um, he's young. He's kind of up and coming. So uh, if they put together another good defensive season, uh, keep an eye out for him on kind of the head coaching trail. You know, the receiving core didn't really have uh, a star necessarily, uh, even though they had a couple of NFL guys. So you got to replace now Jacob Breeland, the tight end, is off to, I think it was the Ravens, and Juwan Johnson to the Saints. Is it going to be kind of the whole committee thing? Are they going to have depth and be able to spread the ball around to three, four, five receivers? Or are we going to see, with the new offensive coordinator, maybe you focus on a couple of the returning guys and uh, maybe there's a 1,000-yard receiver this year? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because they do have they do bring Johnny Johnson back, who I believe was around like eight or nine hundred yards last yeah. year, and it was a very yeah. quiet eight or nine hundred yards. You know, he, he was a guy that kind of just um, just kind of quietly put up numbers, and, and was never overly spectacular until I mean he had a couple just circus catches in the Pac-12 title game. But um, you know, I, I expect him and Jalen Red to kind of be like the two mo- most consistent guys. But then again. As we talked about, they got a new quarterback. You you got a guy that's developing relationships with new guys in chemistry, um, but they they do have a fair amount of like fr- redshirt freshman, sophomore type receivers that uh, that could be pretty intriguing this year. This kid Brian Addison, he's like six foot five, and he, he can jump out of the gym. Um, and then they they got a USC transfer last year that had to sit out, Devin Williams. Uh, he's like six five too, and and that's something that Oregon really outside of Jawan Johnson last year they didn't really have any like big bodied traditional kind of like red zone type receivers. So um, it'll, it'll be kind of interesting to see how some of those younger kids uh, get worked in through the mix this year. So I know Utah still has nightmares about number five defensively getting all over the place. I know they got just about everybody, even got backups in the defensive secondary coming back. 
But Kayvon Thibodeau, I could argue, is right now today the best player or the best player to cause disruption in the Pac-12, can I? Yeah, he, he, he was absolutely, absolutely uh, amazing to watch last year because you could just see him get exponentially better each week. I mean, if, if you go and look at his season last year, he didn't do anything uh, for the first four games, and then you could just kind of see him figure it out. And, you know, he finishes with nine sacks over, like, the season's, like, last nine games in, in that uh, in the Pac-12 title game and in the Rose Bowl. I mean, guys just couldn't block him. His, his first step and, and just some of the techniques with his hands are just uh, incredible, especially for a guy that was a true freshman last year. This guy was a true freshman on the defensive line, and he was undersized. He's added weight this offseason. He's gotten stronger. Um, it's uh, between Penny uh, Sewell, who could potentially be a, a top three pick in next year's draft, and then Thibodeau, who could be a top three pick in, in the year after his draft. Uh, Oregon's got pretty pretty high top-end talent right now. We're joined right now by Tyson Alger, Oregon Ducks writer for The Athletic. So special teams, you know, usually in the Pac-12, no matter how good you are, there's a couple close games, there's an upset, so kicking can matter. Camden Lewis, as a freshman, had one of the oddest stat lines. The guy was 5 of 6 outside of 30 yards, but he was 4 of 8 on field goals shorter than 30 yards. What was going on? Has that been fixed? Because that's pretty deflating to get down there close and miss a chip shot field goal. You know, I don't think Oregon's going to know if it's fixed until uh, about uh, five minutes into the first quarter against North Dakota State. And maybe not actually that. It might be the next week against Ohio State because I, I, I think he had the yips because he watched this kid in practice and he's got a heck of a leg. And, and he has been able to just kind of punt, I mean, just boot some of those those longer kicks. But like, if you had him in between like twenty and thirty yards, it, it felt like it was fifty fifty at best. And um, you know, I, I really felt bad for him last year because like, the kicker is the easiest position to pile on because it's it's you either made it or you didn't. And he's like, he was eighteen years old. Oregon had already booted a kicker from from the start of the year, and then he just missed like. He had a two or three week stretch where it was just like Oregon was going that for it from like fourth and twenty five just because they didn't believe that they had had a kicker that could make it. So um, they they did bring in a, a couple walk on kickers. So there will be a continued competition. That was something that they were hoping to figure out this spring. But uh, yeah, that that is certainly the the big glaring weakness of this Oregon roster right now. Also, too, in that Pac twelve title game, the safety Brady Breeze played very well, and I think he was too the Rose Bowl defensive MVP. He's coming back for his senior year. Was that a surprise? Because is he an NFL guy and could have gone? Nah, absolutely not. He couldn't have gone. The The Pac-12 title game was like the second game he's ever started in his career. Uh, you know, this, this has been a kid who had been a career backup, like one of those guys that was always like, you know, the coach would come out on, on Tuesday and be like, oh, Brady Breeze is practicing really hard, and then you just never see him play. But uh, he, he got an opportunity in the USC game because I think Nick Pickett left with a targeting call, and, like, he just took that and ran with it. And I, I've never seen a, a player of his size, he's not that big of a guy, just lay the lumber like he does. Like, like he he was all over the place in the Pac-12 title game, in the Rose Bowl, he, he ran that fumble back for a touchdown. It, it really creates an interesting situation for the secondary this year because – they were supposed to have like four really good dudes in that secondary set. And he wasn't initially part of the plan, but he played so well over the season's last four or five weeks that like, I, I think it would be pretty hard to keep him out of the starting lineup because I thought outside of Thibodeau, he was the most impactful player on that defensive roster for the last couple of weeks last season. That was awesome. On Tuesday, he's playing really well. <laughs> so that happens everywhere, huh? 
yeah. Coach, who looks good this week? Well, let me figure that out. So Oregon had a run of seven straight years of double-digit win seasons. It seemed like it would never end, 2008 to 2014. Then there's four straight seasons where they don't reach double digits, and the losses really pile up. A couple coaching changes in there, but Cristobal 12-2 and two in his second year, Pac-12 title, win the Rose Bowl. Is, is Oregon back on track? Do they have things in place for another run like we saw? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, it, it, it's hard for me to sit here and predict that they'll have like any sort of success that mirrors, you know, like that three, four-year run under Chip Kelly where they maybe lost like five games in that whole span. Uh, but then again, like hardly any team in college football can reach that. But I, I think Oregon's completely at a, at a stage right now where they should expect a you know a 10-win season at minimum and, and be able to compete for a, a Pac-12 title. I, I think that between the stability they have in their coaching staff, uh, you know, mo- most of the staff has been on campus here for now about three years or so, including like the, the Taggart, um, you know, most of them were assistant coaches with Taggart, um, and then mix that in with like the recruiting classes that they've been able to bring in. I mean, Oregon's been successful in the years past, but they've never brought in recruits like this. So uh, I, I think everything's pointing towards them being uh, um, pretty uh, pretty solid here uh, at, at, in kind of the Pac-12's top tier for uh, at least uh, the next few years going forward. I'm intrigued about how Oregon wants to schedule because it looks like they're playing one big-time non-conference game, and we don't know how the schedule is going to play out this year. But they're scheduled in the second week of the season to have Ohio State in uh, Eugene, I think it is too. And we know that last year they you know go play Auburn, I think it was there, and they lose the game. And I ask you about the scheduling because. I'm pretty sure that since the conference expanded and went to the two divisions, nobody's gone through undefeated. So you count a loss probably somewhere along the line. And last year the Ducks got upset by the Devils in Tempe. We talked about it, how a first-round draft choice a receiver got loose there and scored a touchdown on a bomb at the end of the game. And so the point being... You know, why go with a big-time non-conference game? Because if you lose that, and then you lose one conference game by three points, all of a sudden you're out, and you're not being considered for the playoff. And, you know, if you, if you lose to Ohio State, if two losses are going to take a Pac-12 team out, no matter what, it seems why bother to play those big-time non-conference games? Yeah, it's it's... It's a tough situation because I, I agree with everything you just said. I mean, if you look at Oregon season last year, if, if they would have played a cupcake in week one, uh, that ASU loss might have not taken them out of the entire playoff running. At the same time, uh, if you kind of look through Oregon's history, they've done this a lot over the last 20 years. They, they, they've played pretty big marquee non-conference games. You can go back like the the – the back-to-back top 10 years with uh, Michigan State or the year that they played LSU uh, com- coming off of the national title game. Um, that's, that's kind of – they like that. They, they like getting those early season headlines. I mean, basically Auburn and Oregon controlled the, the – nar- I mean, the, the preseason hype narrative for about two months last season going into that August game at Cowboys Stadium. Um, so it's, it's certainly risky. 
but uh, you know, I, th- I think from a marketing standpoint, Oregon really likes that. Cause if you, if you go back to kind of like the origin of like when Oregon started becoming more of a, a, a national known commodity, like they would just do stuff all the time just to get their name out in the headlines and that sort of thing. And I, obviously, you know, 20 years later, I don't feel like that anything needs to do that nearly as much, but um, they're certainly grateful for that, for those like that TV advertisement and the headlines and all that. And, you know, if they win, then it's then it's a mute point. But I mean, Ohio State looks really good this year, so I, I don't know if that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's a tough situation because I mean, from my perspective, I would much rather cover cover them playing in Ohio State or in Auburn or whoever than like a Portland State or a, a San Jose State. But uh, you know, this is college football, and, and we all know how you get to the playoff, and um, you know that that shows that that might not be the best best way to do it. Tyson, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking uh, duck football with us. Yeah, thanks, guys.